let's kick off straight away and let's start by introducing our keynote speaker, Milani Favut. Um, Milani is a top-rated political analyst and media personality who um, lives in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I'm reading this from the bio she provided me with. So, she was born into an Afrikaner family and grew up at the heart of apartheid in South Africa. Despite marrying Wilhelm Verwoerd, who's the grandson of the former apartheid architect, Prime Minister Hendrik Verwoerd, she joined the ANC and was elected as a member of parliament under Nelson Mandela in the country's first democratic elections. Um, of, at 27, she was the youngest female MP in, South in the history of the South African Parliament. And after working on the writing of the South African Constitution um, and her re-election, she was appointed as an ambassador to Ireland. After her term ended in 2005, she was appointed to be the executive director of UNICEF Ireland. Um, and that was a position she held until 2011. Since her return to South Africa in 2013, Milani advises companies both domestically and internationally um, on political developments in South Africa and Africa, and she does regular road shows to asset management companies and gives radio shows for Cape Talk um, and 702. In 2018, Milani was ranked as one of the top two political analysts in South Africa in the Financial Mail Analyst Ratings, and I'm particularly interested to understand her views about where South Africa is from a political risks perspective today. So please all join me in welcoming Milani as our opening speaker. Good morning. How are we all? I'm actually not going to stand up there. I can, I can get up there and then you'll see my problem. When you're height restricted like me, all the women have that problem. These podiums are made for men. Shall I show you? Let me show you. By men, for men. Look. See? I also don't like that. Look. Um, for me, politics is very interactive. Politics is all about Skinner. It's all about gossip, you know, it's about what I can tell you, which other people can't tell you. So I'm going to make this session very, very interactive, hopefully, although my friend said actuaries don't talk. Is that true? No, it's not true. What I'm going to do, first of all, though, let me just quickly start with getting the elephant out of the room. My surname is Verwurt. So it is through, as you heard in the bio, through marriage, and it's now ex-marriage, so that makes it even worse, right? <laughs> We won't go there today. Um, but when you get this surname, you kind of get used to getting a reaction. Mostly, of course, since 94 negative. But, you know, if I go through OR Tumbo, every single time there's like a hmm, at the passport control. And then I go sort of slightly pathetically, yeah, but I'm one of the good ones, you know. And last time I went through there, the woman said, there's no such thing. And she stamped that passport with a vigor, you know. Anyway, but two years ago, I was at a, um, one of the companies that I see quite regularly. And I went in and I said to the receptionist, hi, my name's Milani, and I'm here for the political session. Now, it's important for the purpose of the story to say that the receptionist was African. And she said, cool. Took me to a boardroom, sat me down, said, you want your coffee? Disappeared. A few minutes later, she came back, she said, hey, sorry, I didn't ask your surname. So in my own head, I was going, ish, here it comes again, you know. So I said to her, ish, it's a bad one, eh? But before I could say anything else, her eyes went really big, and she looked at me and she said, it's not Zuma, is it? <laughs> <laughs> How times have changed, right? <laughs> we should know the bad surnames. Um, 
Listen, so like I said, I want to keep this fairly interactive. I can do a presentation. I have something here. I don't do PowerPoints because the moment I finish my PowerPoint, I have to start all over again because politics change so fast. So I can give you a speech, but I don't actually think that's useful because politics is something that we need to talk about, right? And I'm sure you're all sitting with concerns in your own head. So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you what... Just give me your one burning question at the moment, and we'll take it from there, and we'll do questions and answers. I'll make sure that I catch everything that I think you should know, but I think it's better if we kind of, you know, you've got me now for 40 minutes, use me, okay? So think about it while I just do my quick disclaimer. It is true that I was a member of parliament for the ANC, but I haven't been a member of parliament since 2001. I mean, a member of parliament, but also not a member of the ANC since 2001. When I became ambassador, it was very important for me to serve the whole country and not a political party, so I didn't renew my membership. Obviously, then when I came back to South Africa in 2011-2012, it was very important for me as a political analyst to, um, to be objective. So yes, I still, of course, have many contacts in the ANC. I see a lot of friends on a regular basis. I hang out in Parliament. So I really know what's going on inside the ANC, and that's why I'm saying, hit me you know, with the questions. But I'm not here today to push a line. Okay, so I say it as I see it. The ANC gets very angry with me about it. I constantly have this thing in Parliament. When I walk there, they go, hey, we should talk, huh? Because then they've read something that they don't like. Me, written right. I have loads of friends in the ANC, but I also have friends in the DA, also in the Freedom Front Plus, so I know what's going on there. Not so many in the EFF. I'm thinking the favor thing. Maybe ne has a role to play in that. Don't know why, but um, but yeah. I mean, I know also what's going on there it's because through sources and so on. So just so that you know that when I start saying positive things about what's going on in the country, not all will be positive. But when I do, it's not because I'm trying to promote the ANC. I'm sorry for the tissue eye and the whole of Joburg. It seems to me have a sinus problem going on. Okay, so anybody, hit me with your one burning question. Yes, sir. Shout it out. It's okay, it's okay. I'll repeat the question. Hit it. Yes. So the question is, will Ramaphosa succeed? It's going to go too fast for you. You'll be dead if you keep on running. Um, it's the most frequently asked and most probably the most important question. Will, will Cyril make it? So there's obviously two parts to that question, which I think you're asking me, is number one, will he survive politically? Yeah? Secondly, is he going to be able to do the things he needs to do? So there's two sides to the question. So let me first say that I think that the election result we had in May was most probably the best outcome for the country. On the one hand, voters gave the ANC a bit of a clap hmm, in terms of turnout. It's the lowest turnout we've had since 1994, of course, in a national election. Now, of course, in 1994, we had 110% turnout, ne? remember? <laughs> we had like 5 million more people voted than we thought lived in the country. Point is, since we've had a voters' roll, this is by far the lowest. And it's actually a little bit, it's becoming a little bit of a problem, right? Because for the first time ever, we now had about a million more people not participating that participated. So 18.4 million people either didn't register or didn't go and vote. That could have voted and 17.4 million voted. So we're getting to that point where it could become a problem, right? That, you know, is it still democratic? But anyway, so they gave the, the ANC a bit of a clap with the turnout, 
And also, of course, it's the lowest support that the ANC has ever got. It's the first time they fall under 60% in a national election. So the ANC is very much aware of the fact that they can't just keep going like this, you know, that if it keeps falling, they will lose power eventually. And that's a good thing, right? So they become more responsive. On the other hand, on the positive side, the 57% plus the fact that they won Gauteng, which was very important for them, kept Cyril safe. If they had fallen under 55%, like Zuma did with the local government election, I think the Zuma faction would have had a serious go at Cyril, a very serious go. Because they would have said, you told us to get him out. Now, what have you done? Right? And I think that's a good thing, that people still said, 57% of the voters said, of those who voted, we give the ANC another chance. Actually, I don't think they said we give the ANC another chance. I think they said we'll give Sarol a chance. And the ANC is very aware of that. The point is, I think that 57, I, f I know that 57% will make Sarol safe for the next five years. And I'll come back to why I think that will happen. The point is, and let me just say why I say that's a good thing. Because now you're going to, that's why I said in the beginning, I'm not an ANC prop propagandist here. But the point is, let, I think we can all agree, Cyril is the only game in town at the moment. It's nobody else. So when I say this to a DA audience in Cape Town, they go very unhappy with me. Recently I spoke then, Sheila Kammerer, the older ones of you will remember Sheila Kammerer, was an MP for the DA and a minister in the National Party days. Sheila would, I recently spoke and Sheila got very upset when I said that in the audience and she's still very DA. And I said, Sheila, what's the problem? Who else is there? Please give me another name. And she went, Musi can do it. Yeah, you, could, you know, I like Musi. Nice guy. But the point is, there is no chance for the next five to ten years that the DA is going to be the majority party in this country, if ever. You know, the way they're going, it's most probably never. The point is, so it's going to be ANC. And if you then look at the ANC, who's there? There are successes for Cyril. I know that might be your question. They are, they're looking at Paul Mashatile, definitely positioning himself to become president one day. Um, and you have, on the, on the Ramaphosa side, David Makura, your premier here in Gauteng. Those are guys that are being looked at, you know. I'm very interested in this guy from the Northern Cape as well, Sol. If you haven't followed him, follow him. Interesting guy, what he's doing. But it's always difficult when you come from a small province to become the head of the ANC. Point is, on the Cyril faction side, that's the successes, but they're not ready for it. Of course, the other guys that's looking at this is, of course, Ace, Supra, Babuza, right? And we don't want that, right? Can we agree on that? <laughs> Anybody here disagree with me on that? Because then we have to go a few steps back. Point is, so for now, when you talk, I talk a lot to foreign investors. I just spoke to a bunch of them two days ago again. For them, any hint that Cyril's not going to stay, and it's the end game, you know. For now, Cyril is the only game in town. And I think the election result is keeping him safe. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that the Zuma faction, for the lack of a better word, I don't think Zuma's that involved anymore. He's still there on the periphery. But let's say anti-Cyril anti faction. They haven't gone away. If you just read the newspaper's cursory, you will know that. You don't need a political analyst to tell you that. And let me simplify this. Very easy. Why haven't they gone away? They don't want to go to jail. It's as simple as that, right? They know they're in big trouble. Ace is in big trouble. Mabuza, maybe not so much. Ace is a dom crook. So Ace, as I always say, he's a dom crook, so he gets caught out. 
you know, where Mabuza's clever. He doesn't get us caught out. It's much difficult, more difficult with him. But the point is many in that Zuma faction or that anti-Ramaphosa faction, they know that they're going to go to jail. They know that Cyril's not going to protect them. They know they need to recapture the NPA. How do they do that? They need to get rid of Cyril. Okay, so they're going to try. They're going to keep on trying. But it is very, very, very hard to get rid of a sitting president, as we all saw with Zuma, right? You can only do it in two ways. You either need to do it through parliament, and then you need a majority of MPs to vote for it. Maybe a slightly more difficult situation now with the EFF having grown so much. But I think if it comes to the crunch, even them would go, ah, maybe we need Cyril, you know? So, and the ANC won't easily do that again because it's so public, it's so messy. It's just not the way the ANC functions. So either you do it through parliament or you do it through the ANC itself, you recall him. Okay? But that's very difficult to do, very, very difficult to do. Actually, you can only do it at, a, at or after an elective conference. You're going to say to me, what about Mbeki, what about Zuma? Remember, it happened after an elective conference when they were no longer the head of the ANC. And there is an NGC coming, National General Council, middle of next year. So you're going to hear a lot of noise. The journalists are going to make you scared and that kind of thing. You cannot get rid of him at an NGC. Can't, it's against the ANC's constitution. You can only there discuss policy issues. You cannot do elective stuff. And yes, they're going to make his life hell at that NGC. You can see it already. What is Ace saying? My legacy is going to be, that's what Ace is saying, to enforce all the policy decisions that was taken at all the previous ANC conferences. Not only Nazrik, he's going now back to Polokwane and Stellenbosch and everything. Why is he saying that? Because he's giving us signals that they're going to make life really difficult for Cyril at the NGC. Which means for you and for business people generally and for investors, it's going to get incredibly noisy for the next few months again. You're going to hear a lot of nonsense in the media. You can already see it. They're going to start building on the. They're going to criticize him. I can tell you now. ESCOM going to criticize him for job losses. They're going to criticize him for not doing something about unemployment. They're going to criticize him for not privatizing the Reserve Bank. They're going to criticize him for not doing enough about expropriation without compensation, etc., etc. There can probably be a few more things there. Okay? But that's all they can do at this stage. So in my view, Cyril is safe for the next five years, as long as he stays physically safe, either both healthy and nothing happens to him, which we must all hope doesn't happen. I keep on asking his people, you do have a lot of guns around him, right? You know, because you know he's doing this Madiba thing about going into shopping malls and greeting people, and his security doesn't look like anymore they come out of, you know, Men in Black kind of a movie somewhere. They don't wear the fancy suits and the, they blend in. But I am assured he's being taken care of very carefully. Um, so as long as he's safe, I think we have him for another five, and if he wants to stay, hopefully another 10. The bigger question is, can he deliver? And this is where those guys become destructive, because they trip him up. They're like a bunch of fox terriers, you know, that you keep on moving in your kitchen and you fall over them, you know, that kind of thing. And this is his problem. This is what's happening to him at the moment. So let me give you a good example. He does his sonar speech, this second sonar. He says, we're going to unbundle ESCO. We're going to take, take transmission out. We're going to find a strategic equity partner. Remember, you can't say privatize. No. You have to say that. And then what are we going to do? We're going to fix the whole and gradually fix ESCOM. 
That happens on the Thursday. The Sunday night, all of the ESCOM turbines grind to a halt. Remember that? All at the same time. No warning, nothing. Hmm. Coincident? Maybe. I doubt it. Anyway, now we've stage four load shedding. Now, of course, they're all running around trying to calm down investors. The markets are reacting, etc., etc. That's that's Sunday. Monday evening, Ace goes to Zueto. In a meeting there, in front of the press, he says, on behalf of Latuli House, so on behalf of the ANC, not himself, the ANC, he says there will never be a privatization of ESCOM, nor will there ever be job cuts. So what happens now? Cyril now has to get Ace in order, because now the whole business community is going, what the hell is going on now? You know. And secondly, of course, now Ace has put a gap between Cyril and the ANC, which is a dangerous thing to do. So now he's trying to solve that. Pravina's running around trying to get ESCOM to put the electricity back on. Cyril's trying to help. He has to be in Parliament the whole time, so that's not helping him because they're debating his Sona speech. So all of this is going on. And of course, he's supposed to govern the country, right? Get investment in that kind of thing. On the Wednesday in Parliament, Terror Lakota fed by, so now we're not even a week on, right? Fed by the ACE faction, the Zuma faction, the anti Cyril faction, suddenly stands up in Parliament and says, actually, Cyril Ramaphosa was a spy when he was 21 for the apartheid government. He is the reason that many of us landed up in jail. Now, many people laughed, right? But there's nothing more dangerous to somebody in the ANC or in a liberation movement generally to be called a spy. So now, not only is he dealing with ACE and with his Sona speech and with ESCOM stage four, he now has to go on the Thursday into the ANC caucus and explain for an hour and a half to already dubious caucus, because remember the parliamentary caucus Ace wangled that list, so there's a lot of Zumaheits there, too many. And he has to explain that actually he was never a spy. And still after an hour and a half, I saw them because I hang around Parliament a lot, they were still not convinced that he has to go on the Thursday afternoon in Parliament and go and explain it. Can you see what happens? Can you see what happens to him? This is how they trip him up. This is why he's struggling at times to deliver. On the one hand, he needs to be the whole time watch his back with these guys so that they don't do something funny. And of course, on the other hand, they just distract him. And I can, I can do endless examples of this. I have no question that we're on the right track. And I'm actually really positive at the moment. We are totally on the right track. He's not going to budge. This paper of Tito, very interesting. Really interesting what happened there. Of course, they did, of course Tito didn't release that paper without the president's approval. Never will that happen. But Tito's doing what Tito was brought in to do. Tito's doing the things Cyril can't do because then they'll try and get rid of him. Tito has no political ambition. He doesn't want to become president of this country. He wants to go back to being on boards, cook his chicken, tweet late at night, drink his very expensive whiskey. That's what Tito wants to do. He's the guy's tummy in treasury. He rocks up at 10 o'clock and by 1 o'clock he goes, hey, comrade, I'm leaving again. So he, that's not why he was brought in. There are endless amount of people in this country who, can have, who have the technical skills to become the Minister of Finance. Endless amount of people, also in the ANC. Very few people have the technical skills and the political gravitas to do what Tito can do. So he can sit in an NEC meeting, and when the Zuma guys go crazy with whatever policy thing they want to do, he can say, no, no. Very few people can do that. And that's what Tito's doing. So he's bringing up this paper, no way that Cyril didn't know that was coming. No, of course he knew it was coming, and he would have approved it. But they knew if they took it through the NEC and the alliance partners, 
we will be here for another two years and we wouldn't have got consensus on that document. You're not going to get it. So they know the urgency that's there. So we're on the right track, totally on the right track. The problem is that it's going to take longer. We need patience. Now, if I speak to market people, they keep telling me we've run out of time. I say make time. There's no choice here. It's not like, you know, we all have to play our little bit now because we do need to keep Cyril safe because he's the only game in town. And secondly, we have no choice to fix this. It's nine years of mess, which now has to be reversed. And it's not like we were in a great place before that nine years. We're in a better place. We weren't in a great place because we still have this 48 years of, of hundreds of years, actually, of legacy that we're still trying to fix. And then we had this reversal for at least six years, maybe not the whole nine years under Zuma. But now we're in a very bad place, you know. The other thing I want to just say before I give you a chance to give me another question is we shouldn't, meet, we shouldn't measure the president from when he became president after Nazrek. So don't go back to 2017 or 2018 and therefore say we're now a year and a half on and what has he done? Because last year was a difficult year. He did not have his cabinet sorted. Yeah? He had all the problems in the NEC. He still just the mandate that he had was 179 votes. He needed to get through the election. In any case, any country, but specifically us, completely grind to a halt for about 10 months before an election. All the MPs disappear because they need to get on lists. They need to get back in their branches. They need to have a bit of meetings because they haven't been there for five years, so now they have to show their faces again. I'm exaggerating a bit. But the point is they, they disappear, right, because they're trying to canvas, et cetera, et cetera. Cabinet basically grinds to a halt because they don't want to do things that you know, can't be pushed through. And so you know, he had very little time. So actually start measuring him or evaluating him from this election, so from May. You know, it's from sort of the end of May. And if you then look what he's been doing, if you take it like that, totally different, then you get a lot more positive, right? Because they've tried to sort out this busy sorting out this visa thing, they continue to sort that out. They've brought in a lot of, well, they have brought in some FDI, even though the negative outflows might be balancing that out a little bit. They have done the SOEs, they've actually done a lot in trying to sort out the, the governance structures. We know ESCOM is a really big problem. Um, They've, they've moved away, you know, quite a long way now with this policy document, et cetera, et cetera. So if you actually start measuring him from May, and it's only a couple of months, then it looks slightly different, the picture. And that's what I would argue you should do at this stage. Let me take a breath and say another question. Otherwise, I'm telling you what you should ask. Okay, go. <laughs> to okay. Right. Yeah, so let me just take a sip and also it's running out. Mm. So, um, look, yes, I'm sorry for the recording. Um, I'm getting very angry looks from the back. The question is how strong is the unions, okay? Um, and, you know, they've just come out strongly against Tito's plan. So, of course, Ramaphosa wants to keep the tripartite alliance together. You know, he's a unity man. That's what he does. That's why he got us through Kudesa. You know, he likes to keep everybody in the circle. And, and that's sometimes why things take longer as well. And it's usually the better way. It's less confrontational and so on. But, of course, the unions are going to complain. Of course. Right? Of course, they will eventually complain about ESCOP. 
What is really interesting to me is that they, Tito has said what he has said about all the SOEs. Remember he said in his budget speech, we really have to ask ourselves, do we still need it? And, of course, they have said they're going to start unbundling ESCOM repeatedly now. Now, I mean, if you had said that two years ago in the ANC, it would have been chaos. This, I mean, this is really a big shift for the ANC. What surprised me and pleases me in some way is that you could have this saying, and he said it in Sona months ago, and Kusatu didn't go crazy. Because they're not happy. But they haven't, we haven't seen major marches around ESCOM's privatization. Now, you, we will most probably see a bit of a drama once they start cutting jobs you know, in ESCOM. Of course they will, because that's their job. They need to fight back then. But the fact that they haven't, I think, is a sign of Cyril's skill. He talks trade union. I mean, he comes from there, right? He understands how to do this. And so I think he's having a lot of success in keeping them on side. Of course, they were going to complain about this. It's an ideological thing, of course as would the SACP. SACP wouldn't worry too much about them. They're very important intellectually, but they only have about, I think, 60,000 members or something. Very low, right. Kusato is, of course, also losing membership, right? Um, when Tito gave his last budget speech, they had a huge protest march outside Cape Town over two days. I think the most that they had at, at any stage was 1,500 people. That's nothing. I mean, I live just close to Parliament, so over the years I know what a big march looks like. It's nothing. And it shows you also, because they need to play it carefully, right? I also think trade unionists know, or people who belong to trade unions, we need electricity for everybody's sake. If we don't have electricity, we can't manufacture. Our homes don't work. The women can't cook, you know, and it drives them crazy when they've worked, and now they come home and nothing's working. People know we need electricity. So I also think that it's becoming a more difficult sell for the trade unions to just go bluntly, you know, let's, let's just do this. So it's a bit of a yarn near Antwerp. You know, it's a bit of a, yes, of course, they're important. And Cyril will try and pull them in the whole time, as with Tito. But I think generally in that economic cluster, with, and with that I include also Lesecha. So you have the president, Praveen, um, Ibrahim Patel, Tito Mbuweni, and then Lesecha from the Reserve Bank. These are clever guys. Now, ideologically, you might not sit at this. They might not all be around the same fire. But the one thing they all know is we're in big trouble economically. So they all know we can't mess around. It's, it's not the time to play nice-nice, you know. And I think this is what this paper shows us, and even the way that it was released. So yeah, I'm, not, I'm not so worried about the trade unions anymore. But, but I'm not saying there'd be no dramas. There will be, you know. But I think this is going to be the point where they'll most probably just push it through now, gradually, you know, and take the... the, take the Ma'am, you had a question. So question is corruptions. Are we the corruption? Are we getting on top of it? Will we see people going to jail? Are we not wasting our time? Such a good question, right? Look, I think this is the one thing that Ramaphosa has been really good at, is the anti-corruption drive. When I, so two years ago when I would meet still with members of under the Zuma's time, with my fellow ANC friends from way back, right? If I'd meet for you couldn't meet with them in Parliament or anywhere public. It was in dodgy bars in Cape Town, and they'll check my handbag whether I have my phone. Everybody knew things were happening. Nobody was talking about. Totally different ballgame today. Totally different. People walk in Parliament and go, you, when are you going to jail? You know, like kind of saying. People are openly pointing out people who were corrupt. They know there's a new sheriff in town. They know they're not protected. It's 
really changed. There's a totally different fear, feeling inside the ANC. Of course, what we need is we need Zonda to finish. I think that's going to take at least another year, if not longer, right? And of course, he's going to make recommendations at the end to say whether. But already we've seen a couple of arrests, right? Um, following Agrisi's testimony, we saw a lot of arrests there that the NPA came out and arrested a couple, including Linda T, because I get a lot of people who say to me, yeah, but now they're just arresting the whiteies and the whistleblowers, right? First of all, they weren't all white. There were a lot of people, like Linda T, who was very senior in the ANC. He's been arrested on the back of that. And secondly, Agrisi is not a whistleblower. Can we just get that straight? A whistleblower is actually a person of integrity who blasts out the crooks. This guy's a crook. He's just trying to make a deal so that he gets less jail sentence. So let's not do the whistleblowing thing. That's not what's happening there. So the point for me, what I, th I have no doubts that we will see arrests. The question is how quickly and how fast and how high up. But I think we're going to see some politicians going to jail. And remember, you don't actually need 20 or 30. Actually, you actually don't want that because then you can get a backlash inside the ANC. But you need two or three of them, senior ones, to go to jail. And then for the, for the party, because then already you see people jumping into line. Because, and I think there's a very good chance that ACE will be arrested. I know a lot of people in the NC is hoping before the NGC next year, because that could make a big difference, right? Now, just one thing that I should say, remember the NPA cannot do political work. So they cannot become Cyril's left hand or right hand to get rid of political opponents. Then we're going back down to the Zuma era of Shaun the Sheep, right? We don't want that again, okay? There needs to be an absolute concrete pillar between, or wall between Cyril and the NPA. They need to do only arrest people, only prosecute them, if there is sufficient evidence, legally. And it's very, very crucial that they don't start arresting politicians and then the cases fall flat, or they don't get, you know, don't get conviction. Same problem with Zumane. Because if you don't, that gives them oxygen that doubles up the oxygen. It's like what happened in the Northwest when Supra was kicked out, and then Supra took it to court, and then they won, he won the court case, and that's when the Zuma faction came back so strongly a couple of months ago. Because then they kind of, it proves their victimhood their story. They prove that people were out to get them, and, and so on. So I have no doubt that we will see arrests. I don't think, look, even if we don't see hundreds of people going to jail, the mere fact that everything's in the open already, you know, is a big deal. Um, a really, really big deal. The fact that Zuma had to sit there. Now, of course, he was playing the Joker a little bit. The mere fact that he was pulled in there was a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, right? That you and and it sends messages. You and and you know the other thing that's interesting. I sit on a WhatsApp group for ex-parliamentarians. It's actually a multi-party group, but of course, the NC always forgets there's other people on there. But but the thing about it is. I've been watching now, as this sort of stuff came out, especially when Agrisi was testifying and so on and so on, you see the reactions on the group from people, and they were all MPs during that time. So it's from 1994 on. And people would, you just see, hey, comrades, this is, this is terrible. This is so even inside the ANC, people are shocked. You know, they didn't know how far and how to the extent to which this has gone, many people. I actually, actually think even the president is quite shocked, you know, that it went so, that it has gone so badly. And, and you know, that frog boiled very slowly. So, yeah, I think, I think, um, I have no doubt that we're going to see arrests um, and that that will make a big difference. And remember, we've arrested politicians before, ne? Remember Tony Yengeni, with the Yengeni, the car, the Merck? 
And remember, he got a discount on the car. Today we go, what? You know, unless you talk billions, we're not actually interested anymore. Not even millions phase us anymore. So, yeah. Now the question, because I think we're gradually running out of time. Can I do one more? One more? Sir. So what's going on in with my Musi and with Malema? You know, what's going on with the EFF and DA? Good question. Thanks. The, so look, the DA is definitely in trouble. I don't think I need to tell you that, right? And it's a frustrating thing because we need a good opposition, right? And by that, I don't mean guys who throw their hats around and water bottles around in parliament. That's not being a good opposition. That's just being disruptive. We need a good opposition. And the DA, the frustrating thing with the DA is, if they had just gone to parliament over the last six years, nine years, if they just sat there, looked pretty, and said nothing, they should have been able to double their votes with the mess that the ANC was making. But no, no. Now they have Tani Heller needs to tweet, you know. They need to pick a fight with Patricia, which people like us who know Patricia knew they were not going to win. There was no way they were ever going to win against Patricia. Never. Um, and, you know, then they've got, clearly I've got a bit of a leadership issue there. And so they're not winning. You know, they're not gaining votes and so on. The DA fundamentally has a problem ideologically, first of all, that they need to bring two streams, ideological streams, they're trying to combine. So they have an African national stream, you know, which was the new sort of DA. And, but then they still have the old DA, which is the sort of individualist, liberal, you know, kind of, you, those of you who know from the old days will know what that means. And those two streams are struggling. You can see it ideologically to come together. But they also have a leadership problem. I think Musi's on his way out. Um, the, the problem is they don't have a next, they don't have a successor. If you think about it, who can succeed Musi? So they, you know, maybe I mean I maybe um, what's his name up here? Who was mayor of Pretoria? It's just gone out of my head. Um, yeah, no, no, no. He's mayor of Sali, Sali, Musiman. Thank you. Um, Soli, I, I like Soli a lot, you know, but clearly there's still issues in, about what happened in Twani and there seems to be problems with him and the party as well. Apart from him, you know, people talk about John Stiernazen, but honestly, if you're going to have, and I'm going to say it quite frankly, if you're going to have another white male being the head of the DA, then I think you need to reposition yourself as the DA and say, we're now just a party for minorities, you know, we, and that's okay. But the point is, then you must give up on your dream of becoming a majority party ever in the country. And then you say, we fight for the rights of minorities, whatever they are, and you take on the Freedom Front, who's now going a bit more multiracial, you know, who's saying they're fighting for Afrikaans, irrespective of race, which is an interesting move on their part. So I think they've got a problem. I think Musi will most probably will see a job in Harvard or something quite soon, you know, I, but they need to find a successor. You know, I think that's the, that's the problem. EFF, interesting what's happening there for me. So you would think that with all the airtime that Malema got over the last five years, just think about that, right? How much airtime did he get? How much media? You would have thought that they should have done a lot better in the, local, in the national elections. The fact that they only went up by 4% is a very interesting thing. It shows to me that our country is, to, to a large extent, the current voter base, and I'll get to that, the current voter base is not quite keen on radicalism at this stage. They, the, by far the majority of people voted for the middle block, the ANC and the DA, right? However, the ANC support is rock solid in the over 35s, eight groups, yeah? The moment you look at the under 35s, the ANC support starts bumming out. We all know our demographic bubble, it's the bottom, right? That's where the majority of people 
in our country are. So the reason why, part of the reason why they didn't do so much better was because there was a very low registration and turnout rate in the under 30s with this last election. Less than, I think it's something like less than 16% of the 18 to 20 year olds registered. Um, less than 56% of the 20 to 30 year olds registered. And of that already kind of low registration, we know from experience that less than 30% actually vote on the day. But we also know, this is the interesting statistics, those of you who like numbers, you all like numbers, don't you? Um, is that we know internationally that young people only get interested in politics around the age of 25. Why? Start paying tax. Yeah, there you go. So then they start getting more interested in what's happening to their money. And remember, the those who were born in 1995 only just turned 25 this year. So that young group is going to come into play in the next, especially the next national election, maybe already at local government, but certainly in the next national election. And so that's why there's no way the EFF is going to fold into the ANC, unless there's some disaster on their side. They know they can, they can still grow quite a bit. Okay. Problem is Malema wants to be president. And he's not going to do that in his lifetime in the EFF. There's no way they're going to build up. So he would like to come, as far as I understand it. He was always quite keen to come back in the ANC. However, of course, now he said at his mother's grandmother's funeral recently that on her grave, basically, that he will never go back into the ANC. So I think that now that's kind of hard. If he just said it at a political meeting, I wouldn't pay attention to it. But now I think that's quite hard for him to reverse that decision. They're definitely in trouble with VBS. It's uncomfortable. I think Floyd's in, you know, Floyd will have a lot of explaining still to do around VBS in particular. So I think, um, I think there is, there are a lot of challenges for them. There, of course, you know, 19 more MPs in Parliament. So if you sit, there's a lot more red there, a lot more red. But having said that, um, you know, I don't think it's a growth that's going to. I don't think they're going to be the governing party in the next five to ten years. They might, we might see more coalitions, especially at provincial and local level. Um, but I don't think we'll see that yet on national level. And so the question is more how do they position themselves now, whether they're going to be a, a constructive opposition or just keep on being a disruptive opposition. You know? And it's not very clear at this stage yet where they're going. Cyril's definitely playing with them, playing with Malema in Parliament in a very positive way. You know, jokes, they are a shadow of their former selves. There's none of that kind of point of order the whole time. Um, where he's kind of dismissing Musi, who looks very lightweight against Cyril. Malema is treating with almost um, overdone respect, you know. And Malema's finding that quite difficult. I can see how to negotiate that path, um, which is really interesting, you know, to, to watch in Parliament. Do I need to stop? Let me give you just, I'll just wrap up and say one thing. So for me, at the moment, if you had asked me to do this session two years ago, I would have been very negative. Because prior to, to the Nazare conference of the ANC, it looked like the Zuma faction was going to win. And they would have won. You know, they, they were going to win if it wasn't for some 220 people who were disqualified on the first day. Forget about the Mabuza thing, that's not true. I would have been very, very negative. I, politically, the place was in a mess. There was no sign that it was picking up. The ANC was in a terrible mess, but in an arrogant mess. They weren't, you know, there was no acknowledgement from their side that there was a big mess happening. And it looked like the so-called bad guys in the ANC were just going to run the show for, a, for another five years. 
We are in a very different space today. Very, very different space. And I, from everything, and I've spent my life in politics, and I know the ANC very good, well, is I feel very positive at the moment in comparison to where I was in 2017. Yes, we are facing enormous challenges. As I said, we've got a mess that we need to clean out. Also, our economy is in a terrible state. And of course, it's not only about what's happening here. We're also in an international climate where things are not going well with Trump's wars, Brexit, etc., etc. However, I think we're on the right path. There is nothing in the political scenario that I'm looking at at the moment that scares me or that worries me. I'm very worried about the xenophobic stuff. I'm concerned about things like the NHI, etc. But when I look at the politics overall, there's no big drama, as far as I can see, that's coming up. There's no Cyril getting, being, getting rid of being the most important thing. There is no massive crisis heading our way politically, which were there all the time two years ago. So I feel very, very positive at the moment about where things are going politically. I'm realistic about it, and that's where the graph's not going to do this anytime soon. It's not going to do a steep uptake. But what it is doing is this. Right. And so we need a bit of time, I think, as a country. And I think we need to just be a little bit more patient, you know. So maybe don't dust off the passport so fast. It's okay, you know. It's okay. My kids are coming back from overseas. They're not going there. Um, and, I, and, I, and I feel very strongly about that. But be realistic. Do understand that this is a country that has gone through a difficult time. Do understand that our country is also a developing nation. Don't expect it to perform like a developed nation, if we want to use that horrible language. I don't like that. Or a first world, whatever that means. But you get my point. Um, it's challenging, but it's also incredibly exciting. You know, I've lived for a long time overseas in Ireland. Man, it was boring. It was really boring. Okay, at least we have some lots of excitement in this country. And I really think we should just all buckle down and say, how can we help? You know, instead of just saying, should I immigrate? Which is, thankfully, nobody asked that question. You can ask me afterwards. Thank you very much for listening. I hope it's helpful. So thank you so much to Milani for, for that insight um, and also for ending off on a positive note. I think that's really helpful in the current environment.